Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Mark Randall, and I'm one of the pastors at TCPC. And Marshall is one of my favorite people on earth. Not only is he one of my best friends, without question, I would say Marshall Wemhoff is one of the greatest pastors I've ever met. So it is really an honor for me to uh, stand in for him tonight. Uh, so our scripture reading is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved with various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and that's that the Lord will bless our time in his word. Well, Father, as we continue in our worship tonight, and we open Your Word, we, we read of Your truths, and we read of Your promises. Oh, Father, in Your kindness again, uh, would You be willing to meet with us as Your people? We come to You tonight in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the One who lives to intercede for us. We come in His name. We come with the Spirit who lives inside of us. In this, this time of the Spirit, Oh, Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your revelation. Would you remind us tonight that if we are ever going to be people of joy, it will be because, Jesus, you are our Savior. Would you teach us that again? Would you remind us that again? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, all right, so last weekend, I was at the Loudoun County 1989 High School Reunion, my class. I don't think any of you all were there. Uh, I don't recognize you from that night. So I graduated from high school in 1989, Loudoun County, and there are a hundred of us in our graduating class. About 40 made it to our graduation or to our uh, 30th reunion. Let me just say, uh, it was strange. Uh, if you're from a small town like I am, uh, leaving and coming back, it's always a little bit awkward. Uh, but after 30 years, it's more awkward than ever. Some people have changed. Some people had not changed one bit. Uh, all for good, all for bad. But he here's the thing I noticed. 
And I hadn't seen most of these people except at our, our 10th reunion, our 20th reunion, now our 30th reunion. Uh, and I keep up with a few, but not many, really. But as we sat around telling stories, as we sat around talking that night and catching up with people, what I realized is that when we're telling stories, like I remember them, but as we're talking in a group and people share other details of the story, it's like, Oh my gosh, you're right. That is what happened. And the more of the story that you remember, the greater the story is, or for that matter, the worse that the story is. But joy really comes when you know all the details of the story. So one of my lifelong buddies, Billy Gooden, again, I don't think Billy's here tonight. Uh, Billy and I grew up in Loudoun together uh, for our senior class trip. I don't know why you do this, but this was so dumb. But we went on a cruise, uh, Loudoun County Rednecks went on a cruise for seven nights to the Virgin Islands with other high schools in the community. Horrible idea. Maybe they've quit doing that. I don't know. But Billy Good and I are sitting out one night. We're watching the stars. We're looking at all that. We're just doing whatever we would do. And we're, we're just reliving that story 30 years later. And he said, you know what we were doing that night? And I'm like, well, yeah, we were sitting outside talking and, you know, whatever. And he was like, no, 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 no. We bought cigars in the Dominican Republic and we smoked them that night. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what we did. We thought we were like criminals because we had bought these cigars in the Dominican Republic and took them on the boat. And as we told that story, I hadn't thought about it for 30 years. I'm laughing like crazy. I'm just thinking about the time. But, you know, here's the deal. As time passes, we forget the details of any story. And as we do that, the joy of the truth of that story tends to fade. So what I think tonight, as we look at this passage, what we see here is a beautiful picture of what is going on in our life as we're followers of Jesus Christ. What has taken place in the past, what's taking place right now, and what someday will take place in the future. And I think it's in the details that we need to be reminded that if we forget certain details of this story, our joy will not be full. So my prayer for us this evening is that as we reflect upon God's word, the joy of Christ, the joy of our salvation, the joy of what Christ has done for us, is doing for us, and someday will do for us, will fill our hearts once again. And I really do sense that if you've been around the church for a long time, you've been in Bible studies, you come to church, you're around sacraments and hymns and songs and prayers and Bible. It's not that impossible for the story to start to drift. The beauty of our salvation in Christ can become almost wrote to us. And when that happens, our joy, we're going to look for it somewhere else. So I want us to do tonight is to look again at the details of our salvation in Christ in prayer and hope that the Lord will remind us of the joy that we have in Him. All right, so three things that I'm going to highlight from uh, this passage. If you're a note taker, three points here. First, remember our unique status in Christ, our status in Christ. Secondly, remember the, our unique gift of Christ. And then lastly, remember our unique marking as Christians. So our status, who we are, the gift that we have in Christ, and then the marking that comes with us as we are followers of Him. All right, first, if we're going to remember our joy, we have to remember this unique status. If you have your Bibles or if you have your handout, you can look back at verses 1 and 2. Peter describes followers of Jesus Christ with a very, very unusual phrase, certainly for us in the English. He says that we are elect exiles. And you need to understand that when Peter wrote these words, 
the people who had received this letter were people who were under total persecution by the Romans. The Roman Emperor Nero was after them. The persecution was severe. It was hard, and they were running for their lives. And this persecution was meant to be understood, not just that we read this as a history book of something that happened way back then, but rather this is a picture of the life of a Christian. That until Christ returns, we are people who face some form of persecution all the time. And as Peter is writing to these people, they would have heard these words and received this information with great encouragement. You see that living out our faith on an ongoing, day-to-day basis, there's always an enemy involved. Whether it's a spiritual attack or something else, we are to understand that this is not our home here. Now, I love Peter's description. Elect exiles. What a strange way to think about who we are tonight. As we meet in this basement, here we are, elect exiles. And followers of Jesus Christ all over the world carry this exact same status. This is our title. You know, sometimes people may push back at either one of these terms. But when they're put together, it's really, really, really strange. And yet, I don't think any of us will truly be able to experience joy until we accept the reality of both sides of this coin. You see, on one hand, Scripture says that we're elect. Now, this term is often misunderstood, misused, and I'm not getting into that tonight, I promise. But at the very, very, very least, here's what this means. At the very least, it means if you know Jesus Christ, it means that you are outrageously special in your Father's sight. All that it took for you to know Jesus, it required the entire work of the Godhead. And we see listed here God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son in verse 2. The Father's foreknowledge, the Spirit's sanctification, the Son's obedience. Do you know what it took for you to become a Christian? It took a cosmic miracle of the Trinity. That's how important you are to God. You could not be more loved. You could not be more special. When you look in the mirror, you need to see yourself as God sees you. And that in Christ, you are so loved. You're so important. At the very least, that's what election means. At the very, very least, eternity past, eternity present, in a mysterious, supernatural sort of way, you're dearly loved by God. May we be free to enjoy that. But yet at the exact same time, there's something even more peculiar about us. And it's part of the story that I think we often want to forget. That Peter says that not only are we alike, but we are exiles. Does anyone really want to be an exile? The NIV calls this a stranger. Who wants to be a stranger? I don't want to be a stranger. I always want to be on the inside if at all possible. But what Peter's reminded followers of Jesus here is, no, 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 no. Not inside this life, not inside this world. You're not on the inside ever. You're a stranger. You are an exile. You know what an exile is? It's somebody who's not at home and has to wait until he can leave to go there. An exile is Phil Carter in Rupp Arena when Tennessee comes to play basketball. And his desire is one thing, but his reality is something else. His boys are there playing basketball, but yet the entire world is looking upon him and hating him at the exact same time. And he's like, wait a minute, I can't do anything about it. That's what an exile is. 
that we're one place, but we know we would rather be somewhere else. You know, a few months ago, and I do not enter into a political discussion in the least here, but there was a caravan in uh, South America. You remember this, where there was a, a, a large, large group of people who banded together. They essentially put their arms together and said, we're going to come to America. We've had enough of where we are, and we're going to join forces, and we're going to walk to the new land. Again, removing all political things aside, that's a beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Is that not who we are tonight? That we are people who are bound together with one spirit, with one desire, and we're saying, this is not our home. We are bound for something else, and we are going there together. Yes, we're dearly loved, but this is not our home. We long for Jesus to return. As I've pondered this, I've thought of some of the attributes of an exile. You know, exiles are people who are used to disappointment. Because this isn't home. Exiles are people who are used to the reality that they sin. We have to confess our sin on an ongoing basis because we sin, even though we don't want Exiles are people who recognize that they are sinned against. And there's shame that comes with the reality of who we are. People who are constantly in touch with the reality, something's not right. Even in the midst of a very good day, something is not right when you're in exile. Exiles are people who set their expectations rightly, knowing that until Jesus returns, we're not fully at home. So for some of you tonight, being labeled an exile may not be shocking news. You're dealing with the reality that life indeed is hard, that there are issues that are difficult. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm in exile and I can't wait for the Lord to come. And let me just encourage you again with the other side of this equation. Your love tonight, no matter what you're going through, no matter what shame you must bear, no matter how you have been sinned against, your heavenly Father in a mysterious supernatural way says that you're incredibly special to me. So much so that I sent my son to die for you and my spirit's inside of you. You couldn't be more loved. Enjoy him. But for others tonight, perhaps this description is a bit of a wake-up call. Perhaps there's a real danger for every one of us, especially in a city like ours, in a country like this, that this world can start to feel really, really, really good. And we can forget our status as an exile altogether. In fact, it can be easy to forget that Christ's kingdom even exists, and certainly that there are promises for the future. In biblical language, maybe living in Babylon has started to feel kind of good. Maybe living in Egypt, even though it's a place of slavery, maybe it's all right. The Israelites struggled with the exact same thing. If this is true for you this evening, I urge you to see that true joy cannot be found exclusively with what is here on this earth apart from Christ. It can't happen. It's fool's gold. The earthly treasures, yes, they are here for us to be enjoyed, but not our true joy. It only comes from Christ. So remember our status. We're elect exiles, and they go together. Special and stranger. But also, secondly, look at verses 3 through 5. Look at this unique gift that we have. 
Elect exiles have something that is even more peculiar than our title. Something that's very real, something that's transformative, and frankly, on our spiritual level, it's unique only to those who are truly followers of Jesus. In verse 3, because of everything that Jesus has done for us, because of His mercy in saving us, because of His willingness to send Christ to die for us, because of the new life that we have, we have in Him tonight the surety of His resurrection. Now He has given us an incredible gift. But do you see what the gift is? In verse 3, we see that it is a promise of an inheritance. And the gift that we have today is the gift of hope. And I have to ask you tonight, is that the gift that you want? Is hope really what you want from Jesus? Is hope really what your soul longs for? Because that's what he promises. He says, based on this inheritance that will be yours in the future, today, today, you get hope. You don't get all the results of the inheritance now. You get the promise that someday it'll come. So today you get to live confidently. Today you get hope. Hope is the desire inside of us that only God can give what takes our minds from being lonely exiles into confident sojourners. Hope is the one thing that will give you fuel as you're sojourning with Christ. Hope is the one thing that will keep you going when the weight of the world is difficult. Hope is the promise of something better in the future, but it's not yet here tonight. Here's my fear for all of one of us. Is really, is hope what we want? You know, my, my family, most of my family are here tonight, and they, they will laugh as I tell the story that, that I enjoy getting gifts. Um, and if you know the whole love language kind of thing, there are five love languages. Honestly, I only care about one of them. Uh, write me letters, I don't care. Uh, acts of service, I don't care. Quality time doesn't mean anything to me. You give me a gift, I'll be your friend for life. Um, we got Father's Day next weekend, already taken care of. You know, like I've told them everything I want. Yeah. Um, but, it, but here's the deal with the gift. When you get it, it's best to enjoy it right now. Or at least it is for me. If you give me a gift and it's a picture of something you're going to give me some other time, that really doesn't minister to my soul a lot. If you give me a gift and it's a coupon for something I can go get some other time, that, that's nice, but it doesn't really minister to me right now. Jesus gives us the gift of hope. And the promise is, oh, no, no, it'll transform you now. The gift of hope. You see, the pathway to true joy in Christ is not surprisingly... It's different than what we would have wanted. If we have life exactly the way we want it, if all the promises that we can want, we get them now, we don't want Christ at all. But we have hope when it comes to Christ. Someday, the curse from Genesis chapter 3 will be lifted. Creation will be forever under the fullness of Jesus' kingdom. and We will live for Him and we will receive all that He has for us. Until then, we have the deposit of the Spirit and the hope for all that is coming. And what do we do now? We wait for it. One of my all-time favorite books that really affected me when I was growing in my faith at an earlier age was a book named True Spirituality, written by a man named Francis Schaeffer. Maybe you all have heard of him. 
But he talked about our salvation. And he said we have salvation past, salvation present, and salvation future. So if you know Christ, are you saved? And the answer is yes and no. Absolutely, your salvation past justification is happening. Are you saved now? It's happening. Our sanctification is real. But our salvation is not complete until the glorification happens, and that's when Christ returns. You see, we are on a pathway now of growing in anticipation of this inheritance that someday will be ours. And be encouraged by verse 4. Here are the adjectives again of, of Peter's description of this inheritance in Christ. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. That is, what he promised, it is there. It is for us, and we will have everything that Jesus wants to give us. So maybe tonight you're afraid. Is this all that's going to happen to me? Is this all that's true? 30 years out of high school, is this it? And the answer Jesus says is, oh no, not even close. You can't imagine what the future is in me. And that is the promise to every one of us tonight. In Christ, your future is more glorious than anything that we can ever imagine. Joy comes in the hope that we have in Christ. We have a title, we have a gift, and then lastly, we have a very unique marking back at verses 6 through 7. A unique marking. And this might be the component of the story we would like to forget most of all. We sang about it already tonight. You see, our, our past is secure, our future is great. So what does God do now to remind us both of our past and our future? How would a loving father handle his children who have sinful hearts? What would he do? And what we see is this marking of ongoing various trials that are in our life. What does our lovingly father give us? Time after time after time. He takes our stubborn lives, our stubborn self-will, and He lovingly, sovereignly administers trials into our life. If I ask you tonight who has a problem in their life, if somebody doesn't raise their hand, you're all a bunch of liars. We all have issues in our life that we know our loving King could take away, and He does not. And He could. What is he doing day by day in our hearts and our lives with all of these various trials? What he's doing is he is taking our eyes off of ourself and putting our eyes totally upon dependence of him. And he will do it all of our days. Because he knows what only he knows and what he reveals to us. That when we think we can find joy apart from him, we will only be disappointed. And he loves us too much. For us to live in disappointment. What are these trials? I wish I could tell you tonight what they are and what they're not. But I know this. Anything that moves us away from self-sufficiency and toward a position of Christ's dependency is a good thing. Can you say tonight that I'm joyful because of the good and loving trials He puts in my life? You know, I, I, I've learned this uh, after many failures, as a parenting principle. You know, for, for all people, really, uh, no matter where you are in your life tonight, Christian or non-Christian, frankly, 
that, that you probably have learned the most by the mistakes that you've made. And then you overcome those mistakes, right? And for parents, what we tend to do with our children is that we don't want them to have any problems at all. And in so doing, we take away their ability to learn and grow from those. But you see, your Heavenly Father is the perfect parent. He doesn't take away all your problems. In fact, He's the one who will often send them to you. And in so doing, what He's doing, He is refining your faith. And what He says here is, how is faith measured? How do you really know if gold is real? There's only one way. It's tested. And it's tested again. And it's tested with fire. Again, I don't know your particular circumstance this evening, but I trust that there are issues going on in every single heart that's extreme. You need to know that the Lord has not abandoned you. The Lord loves you. And the Lord willingly, sovereignly allows things in our life that draw us closer to Him. I don't know if any of us were God, would we do it that way? Probably not. And none of us are God, so we don't have to worry about it. But what you need to know about your Savior is that Jesus is at His Father's right hand, even tonight. He is praying for you, He is interceding for you, and He loves you. And His Father's discipline for all of us is good to erase away all that is fleeting inside of our hearts. Can you be pleased tonight to know that you're so loved, your Father will discipline you? Will you see His goodness? Again, my prayer for us tonight is that we would live moment by moment in the sure reality that God is forming us into worshipers of Jesus Christ. And that he is doing that in unique ways. You know, I think about my 30-year reunion. It was kind of good in a weird way. I have no desire to do it again for another 10 years. If the Lord hadn't returned and I'm still alive, I'll go back to Loudoun, Tennessee. I won't see any of those people between now and then, I'm sure. But you know, those stories, they were fun. I laughed. But truthfully, by the next day, I'd kind of forgotten them all over again. And I probably won't reflect upon many of them for ten more years. But can you see tonight that in this greater story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came here to this earth and was in exile. He left his father's throne. He was here. He lived. He died. He rose again. And Jesus has a hope. And that hope is that someday He is returning here to live with us forever where there's no curse. And He suffered outrageous punishment to guarantee this inheritance that we have. So tonight, may we be encouraged with the joy that can only come with the person and the presence of Christ. And now as we prepare to come to His table, let me pray and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come to Him now. Well, Father, again, we, we think about Your words. We think about Your promises. We think about the faith that You have given to us that is a gift. We know that it's more precious than anything else. So, Father, as our faith is tested, would You grow it? I pray for every single one of us tonight. Would You grow our faith in You? Lord, we don't see You, but we believe. Oh, help our unbelief. 
as we come to your table tonight, would you feed us spiritually with Christ? We pray in his name. Amen.